0: We are coming back to our study in the book of Acts, chapter 15. You'll notice that uh, our passage to study tonight, uh, today is verses 12 through 21. Uh, there's a little mistake in the bulletin. That was my, my mistake. I was actually looking ahead to next week and I put the wrong scriptures in. Uh, but this week is twelve verses 12 through 21. But our reading is different. The reading for this morning is found in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 16. And uh, so if you will, would you, if you can, please stand with us so we might read this passage together. And there is good reason why we're reading this particular passage today and so uh, coincides with our study of Acts 15. Galatians 2, beginning with verse 11. Let's read together and let's read aloud. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Shall we pray? Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for the privilege of coming before your throne of grace this morning to obtain your mercy and your grace in our time of need. Today we need, Lord, the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. That you might grant us your wisdom and understanding. And in so doing, Lord God, we will not only receive your word, but live out your word today. And apply it to our lives. That indeed is our desire that we might learn to grow in the mercy and grace and knowledge of Christ to live for Christ and to bear the stamp of Christ upon our lives. Help us continually, Lord, to stand upon your word and the truth of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. In our last study... Dealing with the early church's dispute in Acts 15, concerning the insistence of the legalistic believers to have Gentile converts be circumcised, we focused our attention on the question, why is the truth of the gospel so important? And let me add another question. Why is the distinction between law and grace so theologically important? And why is it significant? When the issue was being disputed in the church of Antioch, between the legalists and Paul and Barnabas, the church leaders decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem that they might present these matters to the apostles and the elders there. Now, in Antioch, the dissension was initiated by this question in verse 1 of Acts 15. The question is found there, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. A question that, uh, or a statement I should say, that, that, uh, that came from these men who came from Judea who were not authorized to teach. But they said, nonetheless, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In Jerusalem, the disagreement was continued by the statement of believing Pharisees, found in verse 5. Finally, in Jerusalem, these Pharisees who believed rose up, it says, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, then we focused our attention on the words of the Apostle Peter words with a, uh, without a doubt given to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring resolution to this very serious matter in the church. And I'd like to refresh your memory by reading verses 6 through 11 of Acts 15. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. That's the good thing. They came together together to consider what this issue was, uh, was all about. And when there had been much dispute... Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And then verses 8 and 9, Paul, uh, Peter gives uh, some very important points here, very very strong points about His argument. He says, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. How would that be? By grace through faith. So verse 11 states volumes to us concerning the distinction between law and grace. And if you go out of here with anything at all, I want you to go out with this thought and these statements. And that is, first of all, law put the load on man. Law put the load on man. Grace put the load on Christ. Please understand law and grace this way. Law put the load on man. Grace put the load on Christ. This was a tremendous witness, a tremendous testimony by Peter, the Apostle. His word uh, made a great impact on the congregation because they sat in silence after he was done. Look at the first part of verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent. They had nothing to say. And we'll read the rest of it later in just a moment. But before we press on with our study of the rest of this chapter, it is essentially important to note... What brought both Paul and Peter to this agreeable position amongst themselves? You see, in the last few weeks as we've been dealing with this, something has been there's been a thought that that needs to be brought out during this particular study of this chapter, Acts 15. And that is that there was some conflict resolution needed to be settled between Peter and Paul before this Jerusalem Council came about. Paul was prompted, you see, and again, these, these are important issues to go back and, and, and lay down as foundational, but it, it was, it was uh, Paul who was prompted by this whole dispute to write the letter to the Galatian churches. Because you see, that letter to the Galatians was sent to more than just one church. It was regional churches, And these churches were in that region from which much of this conflict arose because in that region most of the people who came to Christ were Gentiles. And they were the ones who were being affected by those who were coming about from Jerusalem without authorization to tell them, if you want to be a good Christian, you need to be a good Jew first. Therefore, you need to be circumcised. And Paul then, because of that, writes the letter to the Galatians. But there's another key point to consider and that is that the letter to the Galatians was written prior to this Jerusalem council in Acts 15. You notice it is not mentioned in the letter. So obviously Paul's meeting with Peter was before the council as well. There was a meeting. Paul deals with it. Paul talks about it. A meeting between Paul and Peter. Very interesting kind of meeting. Let's look at verses 1-5 through of Galatians chapter 2. Paul is writing and he says, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now the book of Acts refers to the fact that that Paul makes makes about five trips to Jerusalem as an apostle. And it is believed that it is the second trip, the the trip that he was being sent out uh, from Antioch to to take an offering for the famine that had taken place that this was the, the one that he's talking about but we'll notice here that that paul sees it more than just being sent out by men it is actually a calling by god because he says in verse two and by the way he also takes somebody else with him named titus and in verse 2 he says, And I went up by revelation. Notice, not so much that man sent me, but I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. In other words, I didn't go there just to, to tell them, you know, just to defend my apostleship. He goes there and he says, May I take you all aside and tell you what I'm doing. Taking the leadership aside to let them know what his plan was, what he was doing, what he was called by God to do among the Gentiles. And then he goes on to say, Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So there was respect here of the leadership. And then in verse 3 it says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, which means he was a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. In other words, they came by stealth. You know, here they are, not so much that they're hiding in the bushes, but they come in with this uh, mask of of agreement, and yet inside they're saying, we're looking at what you're doing, so that we can tell you, you need to get back to the law. But notice verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So, Paul was standing absolutely steadfast and firm because the truth of the gospel was at stake for the Galatians and for the entire Christian church. Another thing at stake before the legalists was his apostleship. So, in verses 6 through 10 of Galatians 2, it says, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, being the Gentiles, had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised, being the Jews, was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, Cephas being Peter, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars... Perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they uh, they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so this statement was made to uh, substantiate, in essence, his apostleship, his calling. Not called by man, not called by groups of people, but called by God himself as an apostle. But a significant problem arose now between Paul and Peter for conduct and behavior that threatened to compromise the gospel. And this is why we began with that reading today, which we're going to look at again here in just a moment. Verse 11. Now as we enter into this verse, we've already had this little bit of of review from the first part of chapter 2. But then he says in verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch. And we're not exactly sure what time that was or what, which exact uh, visit that was. But Peter nonetheless had come to Antioch at a certain time. Paul says, I withstood him to his face. In other words, he got in Paul's face. Or I should say, Paul got in Peter's face. Because he was to be blamed. Now literally, that says in the Greek, one who stood self-condemned. Peter stood self-condemned. He was to be blamed for this. He was to be called on the carpet for this. Notice verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, these certain men, who came, the Judaizers, the legalists, the ones who were determined to tell every Gentile that they needed to be circumcised by uh, by according to the law. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, got further away from the Gentiles, fearing those who were of the circumcision. This is Peter. Peter who was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Bold and courageous to preach to his people the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, and saying, you put him on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. He fears those of the circumcision, draws away from the Gentiles, and the rest of the Jews, notice verse 13, the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite rhythm. So that even Barnabas, Paul's companion was carried away with their hypocrisy. How influential we can be, both either for good or for evil. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, Folks, there are times when you pull a person aside, if they're going through some kind of a sin or some kind of an issue, that they need to be told, listen, you need, you need to correct this. But when it comes to the essential issues and matters and doctrines of the faith, this had to be said before all. And Paul says before all, if you, Peter, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? What is Paul telling him? By your very actions. You are compelling Gentiles to live as Jews. Because now you've withdrawn from them. Consider these four things here in this, in this issue with Peter and Paul. But mostly about Peter. First of all, Peter's actions were wrongly motivated. Why were they, what were they motivated by? Fear. Does the scripture not tell us that God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind? We are to be courageous in the Lord. He was motivated by fear. That's fleshly. Secondly, Peter's actions caused some people to stumble. Peter became, he went from a good example to a poor example of a believer in Jesus Christ. Folks, you know what? We ought to be taking notes here. This is something that tells us we ourselves can find ourselves in this condition. If Peter himself, being as great as he was amongst the disciples, has this problem even after his uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we need to take care. Thirdly, Peter's actions were hypocritical. What he believed, he did not practice. And he believed it because we know what he was given in that vision back in chapter 10 dealing with the house of Cornelius and those Gentiles coming to the Lord and not only coming to the Lord, receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What he believed he did not practice and leads to the fourth thing which is that Peter's actions were a practical denial of the gospel. A practical denial of the gospel. You can say you believe, but by your actions you deny. By his actions, Peter had sided with the Judaizers who who insisted that Gentiles were sinners unless they converted to Judaism in addition to receiving Christ by faith. Therefore, Paul in his very strong language says, why do you if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles, not as the Jews, why do you compel then, by your actions, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? But there's a beauty in this passage, by the way. The beauty of this passage for the church is that conflict issues of great importance to the body of Christ can be resolved. Wisely and properly and lovingly and have beneficial ends because there would be great beneficial ends which in this case eventually would help to shape the decision of the Jerusalem council as much or more than any other. It was that testimony of Peter after this confrontation. It was the testimony of Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit. To make clear to the whole council and to all those listening what needed to be understood between the issue of law and grace. So making Peter aware of this problem publicly brought these two giants of the faith together more than we could ever imagine. Which also helps us to realize that even the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Peter in Acts chapter 2 did not make Peter infallible.
1: None of us are infallible.
0: No one in flesh has ever been infallible except Jesus Christ. But that should be an encouragement to us. That even if we fall, God will lift us up. And the beauty of this meeting here was not that all of a sudden Peter and Paul had this kind of sort of agreement, you know. I'm sure that Paul and Peter didn't say to each other, okay, you stay on that side of the world, we'll stay on this side of the world, we'll be fine. No. I believe, there are some, by the way, who believe that there was always this contention between them, but I don't believe that. I believe that because they were men of God, because they were men filled with the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God was present in this meeting, that they came to realize that their humility before each other, And yes, even Paul in standing fast in front of one of the apostles who had known Jesus. Listen, think about this. Both of them actually met Jesus. Peter lived with him for three and a half years in in Jesus' earthly ministry. Paul meets him where? On the road to Damascus after Jesus has resurrected. Both of them affected, touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of them humble enough to love each other, humble enough to accept the callings given to each other, but but steadfast enough to say we need to be on the same page when it comes to the truth of the gospel and that not only what we believe, but how we live out the gospel. And so let's consider that decision now, going to our text. With all that in mind, that's important for us to come back to. We go to verse 12 now. Peter has spoken and then all the had said, kept silent and listened then to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles and after they had become silent James answered saying and by the way did you notice that they became silent again that's saying something that's saying you know they're listening and paying attention because the presence of God is among them and after they had become silent James answered saying men and brethren listen to me I, you know, I have, to, I have to emphasize this, because, you know, in church, I oftentimes wonder, you know, uh, what happens when you go out those doors. You hear all this stuff today, and I hope that it stays with you, but I oftentimes wonder if those doors become erasers, and you walk out of it. Well, how was church today? Well, it was great. Well, what did you learn? Something. From the Bible, something came to me. But, uh, uh, hold on, uh, James is saying, you guys listen to me. Listen, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for His name and with this the words of the prophets agree just as it is written after this I will return and, I will, and we will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things quoting from Amos chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 And then he says known to God from eternity are all his works what a wonderful statement for him to say about the sovereignty of God and about the the, the, the the great attributes of God. Known to God from eternity are all His works. And then he goes on and says, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach Him in every city being read in the synagogues. Every Sabbath. So, whereas Peter had reviewed the past with a council, for when Peter spoke, he spoke dealing with the past, but it happened before. Paul and Barnabas reported on the present by telling the group all that God had done among the Gentiles through their witness. Now, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, devoted only one sentence here to their report since they had already given many details in chapters 13 and 14. So uh, this is just kind of a quick thing to say, this is what they reported. But it was all already given to us, or at least a lot of it, in Acts 13 and 14. Now the good thing is that Paul and Barnabas, here in Jerusalem, are quite respected by the church already. And so their testimony carried a great deal of weight. And we know this, if you just go down to verse 25 for just a moment, because the letter that was written then by the Jerusalem church, uh, To accompany Paul and Barnabas says in verse 25, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Respected in the church of Jerusalem. Very important. So Paul and Barnabas emphasized the miracles that the Lord had enabled them to perform among the Gentiles. Miracles that were proof that God was working with them. You see the early church had that as proof, just as uh, the close of the gospels uh, the Gospel of Mark would encourage us to know that as the disciples went out preaching the gospel, that signs would accompany the preaching of the gospel mark 16 twenty and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word throughout the, the accompanying signs. It closes with that thought amen so that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They just went on, went on and said, These are the things that God was doing among us as we were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, going back here. Peter reviewed the past. Paul and Barnabas reported on the present. But now as James takes the floor and all are silent once again, James relates it all to the future. Past, present, future. And in verse 13, James, after they became silent, James said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written in Amos chapter 9. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. You see, Israel was starting to... Wayne. and not too many more years would come before uh, the Jerusalem itself would be destroyed and the Jews would be scattered throughout all the world so they're still looking for the rebuilding of Israel and, and so it says in ver- uh, verse 16 I will rebuild its ruins I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Now, this James was the half-brother of Jesus and the writer of the epistle of James. It's important to note that he and his brothers, Jesus' other siblings, born to Mary and Joseph after the birth of Jesus, were not believers in Christ until after the resurrection. But now James did have strong leanings toward the law. And and, and and you know, he does refer to the law ten times in his letter. But but I'm here to tell you that uh, James, the, the, the book of James, the letter of James, does belong in the New Testament. And, and it has a perspective that is necessary for us to understand, and actually for Jews to understand as well, between law and grace. There are some... Christian theologians down through the ages have actually questioned whether James should be, or the letter of James should be in the scriptures, but it's there, and there's good reason. But with all of this in mind, he was probably the most acceptable to the legalistic group in the Jerusalem church. That's why it talks about those who came from Jerusalem and from James. Even though they weren't authorized to teach, they were spreading this false doctrine of legalism. But the central idea in James' statement is agreement. The central idea in his statement is harmony and accordance. Harmony and accordance. In other words, James expresses his full agreement with Peter that the Lord was saving Gentiles by grace. Now, I am sure that the legalists and the Judaizers were shocked to hear James call the saved Gentiles a people for his name. Because that's what he calls them. A people for his name since they had carried as Jews that distinction for hundreds of years and not thousands of years. Think about this. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. Speaking to the Israelites. A special treasure of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 14 verse 2. Exact same words. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. If that's not enough, Deuteronomy 28, verse 10, Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Those of you who are math buffs or number buffs, you'll notice Deuteronomy 7, 14, and 28. Okay, well, that's just... You all are saying, Who cares? does math people understand what I'm talking? About. Today, God is, by His grace, calling out a people, the church, from both Jews and Gentiles. And that word exists in our text in verse 14. He says, to take out of them a people for His name. To take out of them. The word, by the way, for church in the Greek is the word ecclesia. For those of you who want it spelled out, it's E K K L E S I A, Ecclesia. That's the Greek word, and it literally means a called out assembly. A called out assembly. James says to take out of them a people for His name. Ecclesia. Coming through the Latin and down to even to the Spanish Iglesia. That's where the word comes from. Ecclesia what's interesting about that word is that if they were called out if they are called out then their salvation is all of grace and not through the keeping of the law if we are a called out assembly we're called out by God therefore we're not saved by works or law but saved by grace even in the word ecclesia it's all of grace it's all of God but the problem was that the legalists didn't understand how the Gentiles and the Jews related to each other in the church or how the church fit into God's promise to institute a kingdom for Israel because you see as far as they read the prophets at some point in time God was going to reestablish or you know even though Israel was still around it wasn't going to be too long before they were going to be scattered but there was going to be an establishment of, of, of the kingdom of Israel with God And they understood because uh, they knew that the Hebrew Scriptures declared both the salvation of the Gentiles and the future kingdom of Israel. They they, they read it, but they didn't understand it because the Scriptures didn't explain how that would relate. So they knew it by what they had read, but they didn't understand it. They thought that by accepting the Gentiles as spiritual equals, that that would jeopardize the future of Israel. But of course we, we, we have Paul's letters to the Ephesians and the Romans which explain. You know, Paul talks in the Ephesians about this middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile you know, through the blood of Christ. You know, that comes down through the work of Christ. All that comes down so that Jew and Gentile become one. in The body of Christ. Paul in the book of Romans explains the mystery of the body of Christ and the prophetic program of Israel and their relation in Romans chapters 9 through 11 of being grafted in. Us Gentiles who were Gentiles but now we are the body of Christ with the Jews. Which, which reminds me, you know, that once we come to the Lord Jesus Christ whether Jew or Gentile, we're no longer Jew or Gentile now we're the church now we're the body of Christ so there are Jews and then there are Gentiles that's kind of you know the the standard overall general thing in the world there's either Jews or Gentiles you're either Jew or you're not but then when God puts Jews and Gentiles together we become the body of Christ significant so they didn't understand it But it's James' statement here in Acts 15 that the prophets agreed with the testimony of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas that proves his point. And here's the point. Let's go back to verses 15 through 17. And with this the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written and you'll notice that there is going to be a pointing to the kingdom as well as a pointing to the Gentiles. Notice it says after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. The word mankind is interesting here because this signifies that James was actually quoting from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Anybody goes on and says, Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. When you read Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, it says, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Messiah is going to come from the line of David. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom the Septuagint puts mankind there broadens the scope here and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this thing translation in all of this through Israel's fall the Gentiles would find salvation Through Israel's fall, the Gentiles would find salvation, but God still loves Israel, and will rebuild it. Now, let's turn to Romans 11, and get Paul's perspective on this, as he writes about this coming together of Jews and Gentiles. In Romans 11, verses 11 through 15, he says, I say then, have they, the Jews, stumbled that they should fall? Literally, you know, have they stumbled to fall completely and and totally? Certainly not. God forbid. But through their fall, notice, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. To provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their fall or their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life? Life from the dead. If they're being cast aways a reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead for them? God hasn't forgotten His people, and He loves the Gentiles. So lastly now, I'm going to press on now, so keep up with me, all right, because I'm not going to let these things distract you. So lastly, a twofold decision is pronounced by James. James pronounces a twofold decision. A doctrinal decision about salvation and a practical decision as to living the Christian life. Now, Acts 15, verses 19-21. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't trouble them, Jews. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality. Two things that uh, are, are important for both Jew and Gentile to listen to and to pay attention to and not do. And then, so that would be commands, and the next two are concessions. He says, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, we've already examined the doctrinal decision that Jews and Gentiles are all sinners before God and can be saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. But as some have said, doctrine must lead to duty. In other words, it isn't enough for us to simply accept a biblical truth. We must apply it personally in our daily life. We must apply it in our daily life. Listen, James writes this in his letter. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. (laughs) These last things stated by by James were not a question of law, but of love. These things were not a question of law, but of love. They were to promote fellowship between Gentile and Jewish believers. Again, two commands. Avoid idolatry and immorality. Listen. Listen. Jew and Gentile needed to do that. And think about this for a minute. These are are problems in our midst today. These are problems that that, that we're having to deal with in in the 21st century. Idolatry and immorality. And they are very, very close together. So that's not not a problem. It wasn't a question of law, it was a question of love but then comes this concession or these concessions and by the way those were sins that were prevalent among the Gentiles but the two concessions were abstaining from eating blood and meat from animals that died from strangulation now you might say well is he quibbling a little bit now with the law but I just want you to think about this that the prohibiting of blood eating actually was given by God before the law it was not given after the law it was given before the law Genesis 9.4 says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. That was before the law was given. It is now a matter of doing things because of love. And not out of just liberty. Paul himself would say, you know, that we, are, we have the liberty of Christ, but not, we're not to take advantage of that liberty. The important thing in all of this is that the legalistic Jews gave up insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved, while the Gentiles willingly accepted a change in their dietary habits. I mean, this loving compromise in no way affected the truth of the gospel, but strengthened the unity of the church, presented a united witness to the lost, especially the Jews. If you'll remember what was said there in verse 21, Of our text when it says for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. It was still important to reach the Jews for Christ. I mean this was Paul's desire. Every time Paul went into a city that had a synagogue, where did he go first? He went to the Jew first. He went to the synagogue. So these were questions not of law but a question of love. Can we fellowship? Can we work together for the common goal of bringing many into Christ both Jew and Gentile? Do we have this unity in the church today? I hope we do. I hope we're building upon that unity. I think that Jesus Christ said it best, and we're going to close with this, the words of Jesus in His high priestly prayer. In John 17, verses 20-23, through 23, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of His disciples. He says, But also for those who will, be, who will believe in Me through their word. That's us. That's come all the way down to us through the preaching of the gospel. the issue of grace is the issue of love to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength to love one another as ourselves to love each other in the love of Christ so that the world may know that we are his disciples to love his word and to love his truth and to love the truth of the gospel so much so that we do not vary from it at all I'm sad to say that, 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 that people are compromising the word of God every day in our, in our 21st century here as we look to the day of the coming of Christ. And we cannot compromise the grace of God. And we cannot compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot compromise the means by which every person can be saved. That is, in the name of Jesus Christ in being able to say with our mouth and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that he's risen from the dead because that's salvation. That's salvation. Shall we pray?